0: This is the BBC.
1: Robert Schumann's Fourth Symphony has had something of a mixed reception over the years, right from the first performance, in fact, which Schumann felt wasn't a great success, so he withheld it and revised it, which has led to arguments about which version is better, whether or not there's anything actually wrong with Schumann's orchestration. And how to approach it from the performer's point of view, especially since the advent of the historically informed period instrument groups and the current trend for smaller-scale chamber orchestra performances, such a contrast to the big romantic symphony orchestra recordings from the 1950s and beyond. All these sounds and all the surrounding issues are about to emerge. I'm Andrew McGregor, presenter of Record Review on BBC Radio 3 and for this podcast edition of Building a Library, reviewer William Miville joined me live in the studio with a pile of contrasting recordings of Schumann's 4th Symphony. And he began with some context for Schumann 4, like that number for a start. Is it his 4th Symphony? No, uh, I mean, it depends on how
2: you look at Schumann's symphonies. He probably wrote about seven symphonies uh, if you count the Overture Scherzo finale as one of the symphonies, which I think I probably do Uh, but this was actually written as his second symphony in 1841 and immediately after his first, the so-called Spring Symphony but the first performance of it in Weimar was a bit of a disaster Uh, everyone was there to hear Liszt and Clara play the piano and no one was there to hear Schumann's (laughs) symphony and Schumann thought, well, you know, this Didn't go down very well, so about 10 years later he revised it, and that's the form, the 1851 version is the form in which it became known.
1: And we'll get to um, differences between those two versions separated uh, by 10 years. But let's get into the music. Who are we going to hear first? We're going to hear Herbert von
2: Karajan first. This is with the Berlin Philharmonic in in 1971. Uh, Enormous care of the ensemble here, as you'd expect. And the opening chord of the symphony beautifully balanced and utterly together.
1: opening of Schumann's fourth symphony and the sound of the Berlin Philharmonic in the early 1970s conducted by Herbert von Karajan. So Bill Marvill, a, a manicured big band performance. Absolutely, a big romantic
2: sound. Exactly the kind of thing you'd, you'd associate with Karajan, as it were, at his peak. Um, and it's the, this is the 1851 version of the symphony. It's very much a Beethoven kind of sound. It's a big sound. He beefed up the strings, he beefed up the wind, and he made it into a much bigger kind of piece, really, the, the, than it had been earlier.
1: And if we um, compare with another, well we're, we're sticking with that sort of big romantic uh, modern symphony orchestra sound aren't we? Riccardo Muti next, why this Yeah, record? I mean Muti,
2: this is from uh, Muti with uh, with the New Philharmonia in 1977, it's a, it's a subtly different approach uh, very much much more dynamic contrast, it goes much quieter after the initial forte stroke it's very slow, it's very despairing, this is heart on sleeve romanticism here and it's very very well shaped, a very strong sense of climax, much more shaped I think than others. Uh, a steady Allegro, but again it's really focused in its direction. <laughs>
1: I do like the way we climb down from that climax. That's uh, Schumann 4 from Riccardo Muti and the New Philharmonia Orchestra in 1977. So same decade and same scale as Karian's Berlin Schumann there, but um, quite a different sound as well. Yeah, absolutely. It's a
2: it's a it's, it's a much more manicured sound in some respects, much more expressive, much more involved. He's much more engaged with the music, perhaps, and less there's there's less of a sense of distance. I think. Um, Savalish Wolfgang Savalish with the Dresden Staatskapelle. This is also another 1970s recording. I'm, I think I'm in the 1970s at the moment. <laughs> um, again, very slow at the start, very lyrically focused, and I I really like the crescendo in the first violin figure. This sense of mood moving the music through the notes i think this is very impressive shaping and pacing for me and the way in which he then goes moves into the uh, allegro section of the, of the first movement exceptionally urgent but very very careful in terms of the way he judges the phrasing and the syntax <laughs> Savalish there with the Dresden Staatskapelle from 1973. It, it's quite a boomy sound, uh, a very echoey sound. But the energy of the music here is is absolutely thrilling. I think violent and driven. I mean, I think it really think it's sensational playing. Um, some uh, performers concentrate on the notes, on what they mean in relation to the whole. I mean, I think my next recording, Guido Cantelli, uh, with the Philharmonia Orchestra, uh, rather earlier this, from 1955, this takes us to something somewhere else. It takes us to a place beyond just the notes, to what I think is the emotional core of this work, to its structure, to its construction. And it's pretty wonderful playing. <laughs>
1: And tension in that playing, isn't it? That's a well. It's a classic account. It's Guido Cantelli conducting the Philharmonia in 1955, which you'll find on Warner Classics these days. What would you say was the secret to the sound, to Cantelli's approach to Schumann's forces? It's the exceptional ensemble.
2: Everything is so together. It's so tight. It's so precise, and it is so focused on where the music is actually going. I mean, uh, Guido Cantelli, this was, this was a recording from just a few months before he died in Paris in a plane crash at the age of 35, and just a few weeks after being named music director of La Scala in Milan. A massive and devastating loss, mm. I think, for European music. I mean, it's, it, he, you know, what he would have been had he lived. He was certainly one of the major conductors of, of the century. But, but it's... you know, for me, extraordinary playing and it reveals Schumann's vulnerability and his mastery Um, you know, Schumann carried all kinds of wounds, if you like, throughout his life and this performance, which is exceptionally
1: disciplined, you know reveals all of that I'm expecting this next recording to be quite a contrast Um, let's see, it's Leonard Bernstein in Vienna in the 1980s
2: yeah um, Bernstein has a very interesting approach whenever he conducts actually he, he he there's a there's a there's a sense of the music is there for him to mold and and to move around and to play around with it's as if you know schumann has has given us a bunch of a, a lump of play that that schumann that Bernstein decides ought to go in all sorts of different places um It might be a little bit overegged and a little bit indulgent, but he does stress the monolithic. In some ways, it's cautious compared to the Cantelli, actually, but it is solid.
1: movement of Schumann's Fourth Symphony from the Vienna Philharmonic and Leonard Bernstein in 1984. It's got tremendous weight and heft and uh, massive impact. But Bernstein, cautious? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it, it is quite cautious actually, isn't it? I mean, he's, it, 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 it's not as
2: energised as some of the other performances, certainly not as energised as the Cantelli, uh, and there's a sort of fluidity in the argument as opposed to the sort of the vigour that you find in others.
1: Um, well, you've picked another old recording for us here, um, Wilhelm Furtwängler in Berlin in the 50s. And What are the hallmarks?
2: Yeah, I think there's a kind of inner energy here. There's a, the, it, It's actually much slower than some of the others. Yeah, in fact, this movement is around about two minutes longer than most other accounts of the way. It's not a problem for me, because there's an assured sense of flow, and it really does add to the experience of the piece. <laughs>
1: Kurt conducting the Berlin Philharmonic Orchestra back in 1953. And having already heard the um, 1970s Berliners with Karajan, uh, only 20 years later, what a different sound. I mean, the winds, the... But the string line, it sang beautifully, didn't it's it? It's a radiantly dignified account of the work, I feel. And uh, quite slow. Not always the case with foot despite the. Okay, fine. And how much does that affect things for you? Um, It does nothing
2: for me, actually. I see it it, it renders a completely different view of the piece. It's a a very
1: much an elder statesman Mm.
2: view of the piece, I think, and it, it really works for me.
1: Well, so far it's been um, big romantic symphony orchestras and that sort of uh, Brahmsian um, feel uh, to the the Schumann. But there are other ways. We're about to hear one of them.
2: Yeah, this is John Elliott Gardner with the Orchestra Révolutionnaire Romantique. It's a box set of all of Schumann's symphonies, including both versions of this particular symphony, the fourth symphony, both the 1851 version, which is what we've been hearing up till now, and now the 1841 version. And here we are in the 1841 version. Thank you. Uh, now, that was John Elliot Gardner with the Orchestra Révolutionnaire et Romantique with the 1841, the early first version of Schumann's Fourth Symphony, when it was, in fact, his Second Symphony, if you like, <laughs> yeah. but it's still his Fourth Symphony. Um, it's much lighter in its instrumentation. It's much more delicate. It has a much lighter sense uh, in terms of how how the orchestra is actually managed, much less, obviously, Beethovenian than the 1851 version, which is heavier and thicker and so on. And, you know, various composers, including Brahms in particular, rated it above the uh, later version. But Gardner also recalls the 1851 version, so we do get both versions in this particular box set. Uh, The playing here, I think, very sensitive, uh, though perhaps a little bit untidy in some of the ensemble, but, uh, yeah, a, a very interesting to hear. that There aren't that, that many differences between both versions, but there are changes to the counterpoint, there are changes to the line, there are changes to the instrumentation.
1: I like that point that it's uh, more Beethovenian. In, the later version is certainly the later one. more Yeah, that's, a, that's an interesting one. And, and, and a bigger you. orchestra in mind, I'm sure of it. Well, yeah. speaking of which, we've got a bigger orchestra coming right up because uh, we're going back to that uh, revised 1851 version and a big Romantic symphony orchestra on modern instruments. Who's this?
2: Yeah, this is Bernard Heitink, though even so, uh, this is with the Royal Concertgebouw recorded in 1984, and uh, although he's doing the later version, he still manages to find the modesty in the music here. Uh, He stresses a sense of innocence, and even as this first movement draws to its close, but without sacrificing any sense at all of any musical sophistication.
1: Of the first movement of Schumann's Fourth Symphony from Bennett Heitink and the Royal Concertgebouw Orchestra in the mid 1980s. And it's going to be interesting comparing Heitink's. Uh well, urbane elegance with this next recording um, and the second movement, because it's from a conductor who often puts the cat amongst the classical and romantic pigeons, I suppose, um, Nicolas Arnencourt. Um And it's our first recording following the currently fashionable trend for chamber orchestras in that's, Schumann symphonies. That's, yeah,
2: that's right. It's a much smaller ensemble, but then again, he's giving us the 1841 version of the symphony, which was probably written for a much much smaller ensemble. Anyway, I mean, Ananekor in his uh, in, in the booklet. With this, with this box set, he quote, uh, he quotes Brahms' view of the fourth symphony, in that you know Brahms felt that the symphony actually didn't gain at all by being revised, and that the revision lost much of its charm, lightness of touch, and clarity of expression. And Harnoncourt, and in particular, regarded both of these symphonies as two separate works. Hence, my argument for Schumann having written seven symphonies and so on. Um, the, uh, and the revised. You know, for 50, 1851 version for full orchestra, but this first version much more suited to smaller forces. And this is from his 1994 box set of all of the symphonies of the Chamber Orchestra of Europe, and in it he only he only includes the 1841 version of the symphony. So it's it's version one. And um, what would you say were the
1: things we really need to notice in in this uh, in this excerpt? Well,
2: what he what he emphasises. Is actually the radicalism of this piece. Remember that Schumann regarded this as he, he links all four movements together. Each movement runs into the other, and the links between each movement are actually subtly different between each version of the symphony. Here, as we go into the second movement, we have a very obvious change to uh, of key, uh, which links us very carefully into this very expressive uh, second movement. It's the briefest of links, just a single chord. Thank Nicholas Arnoncourt with the Chamber of Orchestra of Europe from 1994. Uh, completely delicious playing. I mean, it feels almost... It has the intimacy of one of Schumann's piano pieces, one of those, you know, delicate little piano pieces here. Touchingly tender. And, you know, it's, it takes something to do that with an
1: orchestra. It, it does. And um, what about the tempo? Because that it was a delicious pulse, wasn't it? It, it just felt... Right, and it can go either way. I've heard it very slow, I've heard it quicker than that. There are so many approaches to tempo in this in this particular movement. Some
2: are dirge-like and go on for, for you know, take it yeah. uh, really, really dark in that way. Others treat it almost as a sort of intermezzo, a very light sort of moment. Harnakor finds a place in between that, so it's both delicate, touching,
1: emotional, and at the same time. And he brings through. all those sort of... Period instrument and historically informed um, uh, tendencies, if I can put it like that, with him as well, doesn't he? <laughs> I, <yes>. wonder, <laughs> I wonder. I if, wonder if this next one does as well because it's um, we're off to Zurich. Um, yep. It's um, David Zinman and the Tonhalle Orchestra. Now, his their recordings together of the Beethoven symphonies obviously had learned from um, hit performances. Yep. Does it feel like they've been? Listening again when it comes to Schumann.
2: Oh yes, absolutely. I mean, they've clearly learned from the example of Harnoncourt. I mean, the, Zimmern and the, the Tonhalle of Zurich in so two thousand and three. It's light, it's elegant, and a slow movement here that's both modest and honest. <laughs> beautifully balanced account of the slow movement there from uh, David Simmons with the Tonhalle Orchestra of Zurich from 2003. Um, Josef Krips with the LSO, the London Symphony Orchestra, is expressive, very different, much earlier recording from uh, 1956. In some ways, the sound shows its age, not only in terms of the recording, but also in terms of the interpretation. Now we're back to the very Brahmsian, very romantic, you know, seeing Schumann in the light of what came after it, perhaps.
1: That was Joseph Cripps conducting the London Symphony Orchestra in the mid-1950s on the Australian Eloquence label. That's fascinating after the ones we heard before because um, with Anancourt and Zinman, you really didn't feel that sort of Brahmsian imprint. With Cripps, it's inescapable. It is here. I mean, it, it is this sense of looking at the
2: music from the point of view of what definitely came after it. I mean, in many ways, you know, you can see Schumann as a, as a, as a link between Beethoven and Brahms, as the link, perhaps, between Beethoven and Brahms. But, you know, the, the, there are ways to look at the music. You can see it in this hyper-romantic, very expressive way. You can look at it in a much more detached, a much more forensic way, as you find in the, the Zenmantan to some extent an article, though it's expressive in its own way. Uh, and I think both are valid, really. What about
1: Daniel Barenboim? Because we're off to Berlin again.
2: Yeah, Bar- Barenboim again. I mean, this is... It, it, what I like about Barenboim is the sense of design here. Um, it's a very, again, it's a very lyrical apparently, perhaps drawing something from the crypts. Uh, but where others are hesitant, perhaps, and lack a little bit of confidence, you know, Baron Boyme is utterly secure in the complex and highly expressive world of this music. He relishes the, the very, very delicate dissonances that we get at the end of the romancer, you know, bringing out those tiny little touches in the orchestration that can be so easily glossed over, for instance, The way in which the bassoon in its highest register doubles the flute. It's very expressive playing, and I I do find it completely beautiful and utterly compelling.
1: Daniel Barenboim and the Berlin Staatskapelle in 2003. Quite slow. It can still work, though. And I'm interested in the, in the comment about um, the way he's observing the details of, of the orchestration really bringing them forward because I'm, I'm just wondering if that's one of the reasons um, Schumann's orchestration sometimes criticised, because people aren't noticing those things.
2: I, I think that's absolutely right. I mean... It, it, Schumann's orchestration is criticised and was criticised including by people like Mahler who sort of com- recomposed it. But, you know, he knew what he was doing. I mean, the man was a highly intelligent musician uh, who knew exactly what he was doing. And I think with Baron Boy and the, the Bell in Staatskapelle there, I mean, he gives it playing of, a, of an intelligence that matches the intelligence of
1: the composer. I really feel that. This is Record Review on Radio 3. It's a live edition of Building a Library. William Mivel's in the studio with me comparing recordings of Schumann's Symphony No. 4. We've reached the third movement the scherzo who's going to take us to it we're going to have Roger Norrington with the London Classical
2: Players um, this again as you'd expect from Norrington a historically informed performance but once again they give us the later version of the score the 1851 version but there's an attention to details of articulation that ha- perhaps that some others smooth out and here they are in the symphony's third movement the scherzo <laughs>
1: Norrington and the London classical players in the late 1980s in the third movement of Schumann's Fourth Symphony. Okay, so pluses and minuses.
2: Well, I think plus is this wonderful sense of the historical contents. context of the piece. Uh, Norrington doesn't shy from sort of, uh, you know, he takes out all the vibrato, for instance, and is, is uh, you know, this we're hearing it very much as Schumann himself might have heard it. Uh, minuses um, it can sound a bit uninvolved, I'm, mm. I feel. A little bit prosaic. Uh, but he does bring out the sense of structure. The way in which he pulls the tempo around, he slows dramatically in some of the lyrical moments.
1: I'm not always sure that completely works for me. Again, it's going to be an interesting contrast with this next one, which we haven't heard yet, the Berlin Philharmonic, this time with Simon Rattle and that set of Schumann symphonies from um, 2013, which they brought out on their own label.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's an absolutely beautifully presented item. You know, I mean, if you want an object to treasure, I mean, I think this is is what you should get. You've got, it's cloth bound, you've got lovely pictures of porcelain, all the discs and a cardboard container that closes really very nicely
1: with a magnet. It's all very lovely. (laughs) It pushes several sort of, I want this, Buttons, it does it? absolutely. What, and about I the, what about the
2: sound? It? What about the shoe <laughs> mat? Well, it's controlled. Again, it's a, a little bit detached, perhaps. Um, it's neat. It's very, very well, uh, very, very polished. I mean, polished. I think that's that's the word that sums it up.
1: trio from Schumann's Fourth Symphony, the Third Movement. And it's, well, it's the third recording of the Berlin Philharmonic we've heard in this building a library. Furtwanger in the 50s, on in the 70s, Simon Rattle in 2013. Different sound and Approach and it's interesting as well that Rattle picks the original version. Not the yeah, he VG.
2: does. He goes to the it, it it it's a box set of all the symphonies, all the Schumann symphonies together with some video with video performances of them all as well. Uh, but he, he he ignores the 1851 version and just goes for the 1841 version. Um, I mean, you know, I can see why because he's he's you know he's reacting again. He doesn't want the the strident and heavy version that very much is the the hallmark of the 1851 version. He's gone for the much lighter, the more delicate, the more Mendelssohn EP, which is which is what the 1841 version is. And you can hear how it suits his approach here. But uh, what qualities
1: do you need to make the later version come off the page? Because we're, we're going back to Berlin, but in the hands of Daniel Barenboy now. Well, we? I mean... Uh, it's interesting because again,
2: there are so many different approaches to, to, the, to the later version. But Barenboim, I think, you know, uh, uh, brings out the full-blooded, heart-on-sleeve romanticism of the 1851 movement uh, of the 1851 version. It's almost proto-Bruckner, especially <laughs> when you get to the, the, the extraordinary transition that you have between the scherzo and the finale. And I think, you know, Barenboim sees, you know, you know what this music is going to become here it's very much it, it, very much part of what he's doing i think Yeah, and that was Baron Barenboim with the Berlin Staatskapelle from 2003 in this link between the, t- the scherzo and the finale. And it's interesting, I think, to com- directly compare that with Simon Rattle. Um, Rattle and the Berlin phonemic, it's not perhaps to everybody's taste. It's polished almost so heavily you can see your face in it. In it. But it's a completely different image of the work to Barenboim's blood and guts, emotionalism. And here they are in exactly that same section. Uh, that was Sir Simon Rattle with the Berlin Philharmonic Orchestra from two thousand and thirteen uh, much more modest in tone, I think compared uh to the Baronboym, but with the obvious changes that you find in uh, uh in the eighteen forty one version it's, uh, it's uh, the transition is handled a little uh very very slightly differently and certainly less bombastically um Hanukkah is very similar. Obviously we have again the 1841 version of the score and it's interesting to compare that directly with the rattle. This is much more humanity for me, uh, much more emotional layering perhaps than the rattle seems to uh, go for. (laughs)
1: And the Chamber Orchestra of Europe in 1994 taking us into the finale of Schumann's fourth symphony. Um, But I notice it's the only one of the Chamber Orchestra Schumann's to make it. Um, this far. In fact, one of the few we've, we've heard, actually. And, and yet that's become such a, a popular way of recording the Schumann symphonies. I'm thinking of Thomas Dauskal with the Swedish Chamber Orchestra. Then we've got Yannick um, Segar also with Chamber Orchestra of Europe like Arnencourt, and most recently Robin Ticciati in the yeah, Scottish I, Chamber Orchestra. Do, do you not like the approach? Or? I, I'm
2: not, I must admit, I'm not too keen uh, I, I, on either the Ticciati or the Segar. I mean, I think the Ticciati, the, the sound is, for me, a little bit anemic. And also he lightens the spirit of the piece. It sounds almost like Rossini in places. And the Nessus Segar, I just wasn't completely convinced by his choice of Tempe. The sound is Crisp and clear, but again, it tends to be sort of skittish and flippant. I think the best of those that you mentioned is Thomas Dowsgard with the Swedish Chamber Orchestra, you know, which is which which has some m- much more heft and substance to it. But I think both of those are somewhat eclipsed by the Harnoncourt, which has so, which has a sort of uh, humanity to it that the others don't. For me, don't quite achieve. Okay, so that's
1: a very good reason why this one's um, still on the table. We also have a handful of classics um, still with us. Uh, who's
2: left? Uh, Well, let's start with Savalish and the Dresden Staatskapelle in 1973. Um, uh, It's really a a, a very full-blooded and romantic approach. The Allegro's even more driven than they are also in the Barenboim, another of my favourites, with the Staatskapelle. But the flow here is natural and sustained, though I I do wonder if it couldn't be a little bit more relaxed in places. (laughs)
1: Gang with the Dresden Staatskapelle in the finale of Schumann's Fourth Symphony. So still around for some very good reasons um, towards the end of this building a library. Um, so is the Berlin Philharmonic, um, it seems, and not 21st century Rattle and the original version. This is the revised Schumann Four. It's Carianne conducting, but which recording? It's this one we is, haven't heard, yeah,
2: is it? Yeah, I mean, Carianne did it a number of times. This is the 1957 recording, which for me is the most his most successful account of the symphony, uh, though they've all got their very... Uh, considerable merits, um, the recorded sound shows its age a bit, but it 's all expertly placed, and the summation of the piece is suitably triumphant i think it's it 's a wonderful piece of pacing as a whole really <laughs>
1: Herbert von Karajan and the Berlin Philharmonic in 1957. That one's now on Warner Classics. And I might not have been expecting Karajan and the Berlin Phil to make the final cut, but just listening to that, it's uh, it's sort of constantly surprising. It's not over-manicured, is it? No,
2: it isn't. I mean, he hunts down the complex lyricism of this music. He really does. You know, there's, a, there's, a, there's an approach to dynamic, to rubato, and to pacing. You never quite know where it's going to go, and the music actually welcomes that for me, I think. OK, so... Who else
1: is very much in, in the, in the oh, running well, of this
2: stage? I've got a number of favourites. I mean, I'd start with Cantelli, which I think is just a fantastic performance of the piece. hightink I think, is amazing. The Gardener, I like the box set because it contains almost absolutely everything. Zinman with the tone Rattle, perhaps, as well. But, that, you know, in spite of its being slightly overpolished, I'm, you know, I would recommend... These are all great performances in their way. But I think the playoff for me... Has to be between the 1841 and the 1851 versions, and between Barenboim and the Staatskapelle, uh, the, the Berlin Staatskapelle, and Nicholas Arnancor in 1944. Uh, sorry, in 1994. I apologise. Arnencourt, I think uh, this is this is a performance that completely changed my view of the piece. Um, uh, under Arnancor, the the work becomes a charming intricate, witty, lyrical work completely devoid of bombast. He strips away all kinds of filth, which some others try to do, and in my view rather fail, but he reveals a gleaming little jewel of a masterpiece underneath it all, and I I find it completely engaging. (laughs)
1: and the Chamber Orchestra of Europe stripping away the layers to reveal a Schumann masterpiece in their 1994 recording, and you'd be more than happy with this one, then, but my friend. absolutely thrilled with <coughs> this one. I mean, I
2: mean, but you know, I do, you know, the nature of this program means I do have to choose a winner, and you know, it's an exceptionally well-stocked field of musical treasures. But for me, I think the overall winner is probably Baron Baranboyim with his 2003 recording with the Berlin Statskapella. Uh, Stats it's very much about my personal taste, uh, and there's so much to admire in all of the recordings I've recommended, whether Cantelli, Savalish, Heiting, Gardner, Zimmer. But Barenboim gives us a vision of the work which is sustained, it's highly romantic. Yeah, if you want something lighter, then I'm sure you'll go for Arnancourt and you won't be disappointed. But Barenboim is completely secure here in what is a complex, many-layered and highly expressive masterpiece of the Romantic period.
1: The end of Robert Schumann's Symphony No. 4 and the sound of the Berlin Staatskapelle conducted by Daniel Barenboim, offering total security, thinks reviewer William Meivel, in Schumann's complex, multi-layered, highly expressive world. So that's Bill Meivel's overall Building a Library recommendation. You'll find it on Warner Classics, and full details are on the Record Review website, along with some of his other favourites, in case you preferred some of the other sound worlds we heard. You've been listening to a podcast edition of Building a Library, recorded live in the Record Review studio. Next week, one of the most famous song cycles in classical music, and a story of love spurned. Schubert's Die Schöne Müllerin, The Fair Maid of the Mill. Some of the greatest leader singers on record and their pianists compared with the finest of the current generation. You can listen live if you join me, Andrew McGregor, for Record Review, Saturday mornings from 9 on BBC Radio 3, 90 to 93 FM, online and on digital radio. This is a download from the BBC. For more information and for terms of use, go to bbc.co.uk slash radio3.